let me just get straight into it. Let, let's jump in the Wayback Machine, and let's go back to church, Western church, circa 1990. And in Western church, circa 1990, Christian bookstores were inundated with a thing called a WWJD bracelet. How many of you remember the WWJD bracelets? Okay, yeah, good, good. How many of you ever owned a WWJD bracelet? All right. How many of you are still wearing one this morning? Okay, wave it in the air like you just don't care. Nobody? All right, fair enough. Good, good choice. This uh, phenomenon, WWJD, stands for What Would Jesus Do? And uh, when we were planning this series, our planning team, we kind of, we couldn't quite remember what the genesis of this idea was. You know, what is this really, what's the motivation here? Is this one of those, uh, like, a, you know, boundary setting thing? Like you're about to do something wrong, about to do something naughty, something sinful, and uh, your friend says, before you do that, you might want to ask yourself, what would Jesus do? Possible. We could remember. Or is it more of a permission slip? Like in this situation or in these circumstances, or what would Jesus do? And anyway, so I, being diligent, did some research and uh, basically was reminded in a sense that this idea came from a book written in 1894 by an author called Charles, Charles Sheldon. And he wrote the book called In His Steps. This book's actually sold over 30 million copies, which is pretty good uh, as far as sales go. And uh, in the book, it's, it's kind of an allegorical tale of a, a small town in America where the, the town essentially chose to ask themselves the question, what would Jesus do? Because here's the thing, you can read the Bible from cover to cover, and I recommend you do. You can read the Bible regularly throughout, slice and dice it. There is certain things, certain circumstances, certain situations that you and I will face that actually there's not always a prescriptive answer, a prescriptive what should I do in this situation. And so <laughs> there's this sense of, well, I'm not sure. The Bible doesn't just say in this case, one, two, three. So we have to kind of get inside of the, the mind of Jesus. What would, would Jesus do um, in certain situations? How many of you have ever... Uh, given someone a gift and you, and you really kind of revved yourself up and you, and you put a lot of thought into it, you maybe even outlaid a, a, a good chunk of cash and, and you gave it to that person and, and their response was a little underwhelming. Has, has anyone ever uh, been faced with that one? Me too, me too, I feel your pain. I, uh, I've been married, Louie and I, I've been married, I, I, last week I said 21 years, we've been married for 21 years, apparently that's not correct. Um, she said 20, so I'll be married for 20 plus years. I'm just gonna say that from now on. Yeah, we've married for 20 plus years and I, you, if you go back through Louise's Instagram feed, you will not see any bragging photos from her of gifts that I've given her. I, unless they're tagged with a hashtag fail. Like I have just, I have not done well when it comes to giving gifts. In fact, when we first were dating, Louis, uh, in, in first married, oh, we were engaged. Uh, Louis turned 21. <laughs> and I thought a great gift for my soon to be wife on her 21st birthday would. <laughs> I thought a great gift, and, and, and I gave her this gift. 
was a frying pan. <laughs> she should have run right then. Because it did, because here's the thing as far as gifts giving go from me to Louis, that was my peak. <laughs> That was as good as it gets. I actually got progressively worse, if you even thought there was such a thing as worse. There was. I can show you. So anyway, recently Louis was turning 40, and I thought, 40, it's one of these milestone birthdays. Here's my chance. Here's my chance to turn it all around. So I'd found several years ago, I'd found this gift uh, idea, and I thought, boy, that will be a great gift to give Louis. So I kind of put in the back of my mind, I didn't have occasion to get it for her. It was a little bit complicated. But Louis's coming up for 40, and I'm thinking, yeah, this is my chance. So uh, let, me, let me show you the gift. And uh, gifts, there's actually a, a few here. Um, what these are is, uh, is uh, this is actually part of a collection of, um, of a kind of dining ware that were created for the Italian Air Force in the 1950s, for the officers of the Italian Air Force in the 1950s. And they were actually discovered in, in, a, in a locked up uh, storage uh, warehouse just outside of Rome, unused, un, un, uh, not unboxed. And uh, there was espresso cups and with the insignia of the Italian Air Force, matching demitasse spoons with the insignia on there. This is a, a wine carafe uh, with the insignia of the Italian Air Force on there. And so I found these. I thought, man, a set of these for Louis for her 40th. She's 100% full-blooded Italian. What a gift. This is limited edition because I only found them in this warehouse and once they're gone, they're gone. It was going to be a bit of a mission because the actual shop selling this is based in Chicago and they didn't ship to Australia. So I had to set up a P.O. box in the, in the States. I had to get them shipped from Chicago to my P.O. box, from my P.O. box over here to Perth. They weren't inexpensive, if you know what I mean. And I got them. I got them in time and I wrapped them up, and I'm, I'm counting down the days to Louis' 40th birthday. I'm thinking, man, no, nobody, nobody is ever going to top this one. And, I, and, and on the day of her 40th, I, I gave her this gift, and she unwrapped it and unboxed it. And she just left it on the bench and went to work. And she hasn't used any of them even once. I know. I know, I know. What a spoiled brat. <laughs> yeah, that was very disappointing. The reason I share that story is to remind us, actually, that if you're a follower of Jesus, you've actually, we've actually been given a significant gift. We've been given the gift of eternal life. Jesus actually died so that you and I would never have to. God sent the only thing he had one of, his only son, and he sent his only son. Jesus abandoned heaven for you and for me. We've received this gift. We've got this gift. And, and yet I wonder, and, and I'm going to kind of, we're going to challenge this over the next four weeks. I wonder if any of us have ever or are ever uh, guilty of being a little bit meh when it comes to this gift, because when I think about what Jesus has done, when I think about the gift that Jesus has given us, the only correct response, the only right response is for us in turn to go all in for him. That anything less than all in 
may suggest that we don't fully appreciate the gift in the first place. And so we want to talk about that. In fact, instead of asking the question, what would Jesus do? We're just going to spin it a little and riff. And we've called this series, What Would Jesus Undo? Because I've been leading churches for 20 plus years, just like I've been married 20 plus years. And, uh, and I've noticed that actually, sometimes it's very easy for us to settle. It's very easy for us to, to kind of maybe get a little complacent. It's very easy for us to maybe lose sight of what is God's best and just starting to live a little bit below God's best in one or more areas. And, you know, the thing about Jesus, he's got this reputation in kind of Western culture of being a nice guy. Like, whether you believe he's the son of God or not, at the very minimum, we can all agree he was a nice guy. Do you know what? He wasn't always a nice guy. He was always a loving guy, but loving doesn't always equal nice. Sometimes Jesus would go bonkers over some stuff. He would rail against some things. He would call people some pretty nasty names when he saw them doing things that were less than God's best, and yet they knew that there was something better for them. And uh, interestingly, Jesus didn't just do that while he was on this earth. In fact, after he died and, and, and we believe rose again and, and ascended back into heaven, um, he actually continued to send some of these kind of confronting messages. And that might sound a little bit weird, but let me, let me take you there. Uh, if you've got our Elevate app, uh, it's got the Bible baked into there. And uh, you can tap on the Bible tile, the bottom left, just below Super Steve. Super Steve, welcome back, Steve and Renati, and the little baby Poppy. Hi. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's our church growth strategy. Just keep having babies, people. <laughs> you tell in the Bible, or if you're a if you're a paper Bible, this is one of the two easiest books to find in the Bible. Genesis at the beginning, Revelation at the end. It's going to take you to a book called Revelation. And the reason it's called Revelation, don't ever call it Revelations. The reason it's called Revelation is here's the backstory. The backstory is one of Jesus' uh, merry men, one of his 12 followers, uh, late in life was actually exiled to an island. And while he was on that island, he had a revelation, hence the title of the book. He had a revelation. Part of that revelation was Jesus himself actually speaking to John. And, and, and a part of that is that Jesus sent John a message or basically sent a message through John to seven different churches in that area or in, in the known world at the time. And one of those churches is a place called Laodicea. So, so Jesus actually, through John, wrote more words to this church in Laodicea. The thing about Laodicea, it was, it was, it was a pretty um, well-known, pretty thriving uh, city. And about 35 years prior to this revelation, it had actually been largely destroyed by an earthquake. The city, however, decided to rebuild. And when they rebuilt, they rebuilt strong. They rebuilt with impressive stadiums, uh, impressive uh, architecture. They, they had, uh, believe it or not, shopping malls. It kind of, they did like, a, like what we think of Dubai today, back in that time, rebuilding Laodicea. But the one thing that Laodicea didn't have access to was fresh water. So what they chose to do, and essentially what they had to do, is they had to build a system of aqueducts to actually bring in water from uh, neighboring cities. And the two neighboring cities that they built the aqueducts to bring the water in from was one was Colossae, and the other one, and I want to make sure I say this right, because my Greek's uh, not as good as it used to be, Hierapolis. 
You're welcome. Colossae actually had natural springs of, of cold water. And Hierapolis actually had hot springs. And cold water, as you'd imagine, is, is known for being refreshing. And then these hot springs were known for being medicinal. So, so both the cold and the hot water had very clear, very uh, intentional purposes, very intentional benefits. And so uh, Laodicea actually built the aqueducts, bringing the cold water in from Colossae and the hot water in from Hierapolis, and, and it would arrive at the city of Laodicea. The problem is that by the time that water got to Laodicea, it was neither cold nor hot, and it blended together, and it's what we would call lukewarm. And so Jesus, when he was giving this revelation to John, he used language to speak to the church in Laodicea that the church in Laodicea would have been very, very familiar with. He used a metaphor that they would have got in a second. And here's what he said to them. I know you inside and out and find little to my liking. This is not a good start when Jesus wants to say something to you and this is how he tees off. (laughs) And it gets worse. You're not cold. You're not hot. Far better to be either cold or hot. You're stale. You're stagnant. And you make me want to vomit. Them's fighting words, baby. Now I'm gonna instead of using the word lukewarm, let me let me just swap in the word indifferent. And as much as it was obviously true for the church in Laodicea, and I hope that when Jesus got this message to them, that they actually course corrected that they actually realized that there was something in their life that they needed to undo, that Jesus wanted them to undo. I want us to ask that question. I want us to ask that question. Is there anything in our life that Jesus would want to undo? Is there any area that we've settled? Is there anything that we're neither hot nor cold and we just kind of meh? That instead of living all in, instead of taking it to the limit, instead of saying, God, what's your best? I wanna go after you and I wanna go after your best. We're just kinda, we're just kinda indifferent. And if you are, by the way, this is gonna be a pretty confronting message, but it can end well. If you're indifferent, you're probably not alone because it's very easy to get to this place. Last week, I talked about drifting, that we can actually drift away from following Jesus, not necessarily, not even typically in an instant, but generally it's a gradual, over a period of time kind of thing. The same with indifference, that we first meet Jesus and we're hot for Him. And yet, sometimes, for some of us, there's areas in our life that over the course of time, gradually, we've become indifferent. And one reason is, and Jesus himself pointed this out, is self-sufficiency. Jesus went on the very next breath saying to this church in Laodicea, you brag, I'm rich, I've got it made, I need nothing from anyone. Oblivious to the fact that you're a pitiful, (laughs) blind beggar, threadbare, and homeless. This was 2,000 years ago. 
I kind of think this is even more applicable today. That self-sufficiency has become something of a God in its own right. That, that you and I, we're actually in a culture that teaches us to be self-sufficient. That actually provides us with certain tools that make it easy for us to be self-sufficient. I mean, you've got your job. You've got your Netflix subscription. You've got your comfy couch. And you've got your nice television. And, and they're not bad things. I have all of those as well. I have a four-burner barbecue. Some of you do too. They're not all bad things. But the danger is, that we may be spending all of our time, money, and energy accumulating stuff, but it's not always the stuff that matters most. And whilst the stuff isn't necessarily evil or wrong or bad, if that's the source of our attention, if that's our focus, if that's our primary goal, if that's what we're chasing after, if that's, if that's all we're going after so that we can be self-sufficient, the, the trick is, or the trap is, our life can be full of stuff but empty of purpose. And I want to put it to you that as followers of Jesus, our life should actually look different from those people in our sphere who aren't yet following Jesus. There should actually be tangible, noticeable things that are different with how we approach life than somebody who's not a follower of Jesus. And yet, I've seen people who are followers of Jesus that don't actually scratch and smell much different from people who aren't yet following Jesus. You know, when we make our January goals, goals, resolutions, whatever you want to call them, we make our January goals. Some of you have made January goals in the past and you may have said, yeah, this year, this year I'm gonna, I'm gonna get better at my job. That's my goal. I'm gonna drop a few kilos. That's my goal. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spend more time with my kids. That's my goal. I'm going to start a new hobby. That, that's my goal. And, and, and none of these are bad things. But are we and do we and do you bake in kingdom goals in your goals? Or do your goals just look like your next door neighbour or the person in the cubicle next to you? Because some kingdom goals, and I, it's not for me to tell you what you should level up in, in your goals, but let me just give you a few kickstarters. Have you set a goal at the beginning of the year to become a more effective team member in the team you serve here at Elevate Church? So we say to our team members, are you getting better or just getting ready? And going through the motions, is, is that a goal? Getting better at your job, fantastic. What about also getting better at serving in the church? What, what about a goal of this year I'm gonna invest in my marriage? Maybe that means you're actually gonna go to some counseling together. Not because your, your, your marriage is completely off the rails, but you, you want an upgrade and you'd like someone to give you a hand. That's fantastic. That's a kingdom goal. Maybe it's a financial goal that's not just about increasing your superannuation, but also increasing your giving. That's a kingdom goal. Maybe it's stepping up to, to lead. You know, you've been a team member or a part of an Elevate group for a certain season or for a period of time, and you're thinking, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put a stretch goal in there, a kingdom stretch goal, and, and, and step up into more of a leadership goal. I'm gonna read the Bible in a year. I'm gonna start in January. I'm gonna finish in December. I'm gonna go through the Bible in a year. Some of you have done that. Some of you have never done that. That's a kingdom goal. I'm gonna lead one person to Jesus this year. That's a kingdom goal. I'd almost put it to you, that's the most important of all of these examples that I put in there. And yet, without judging, when's the last time you 
led someone and introduced them to Jesus. Self-sufficiency. Another one is distractions. And this one doesn't need much underlining. You get it. This is life. <laughs> life. We've got everyday stuff coming at us. Jobs to go to, bills to pay, kids to drive around, dishes to do. And then we get road bumps along this everyday journey of life. Kids get sick, car breaks down. And, and, and maintaining this intense focus on Jesus sometimes becomes difficult because either we look away or our view just gets cluttered. And it's easy. I get it. So I wanted to show you a few warning lights that you have on your dashboard. You might not know you have them on your dashboard, but you do. Because warning lights are a good thing to pay attention to. I got on my little uh, convertible Vespa this morning. <laughs> Thanked God that it answered my prayer for it to not be raining. And, the, and I started her up, and uh, the little uh, yellow uh, need petrol light came on. And I paid attention to that. I went to the petrol store. It's not called the petrol store, is it? <laughs> I'm not much of a car guy. I don't even own a car. I went to the gas station, the fuel station, the servo. All right, I knew I'd get there eventually. Ozzy, Ozzy, Ozzy. And, um, and I put petrol in. The warning light, I paid attention to. So here's, here's some warning lights that, that maybe highlight that you may have some indifference going on that you may not even be aware of. And I just need to warn you, this may hurt a little but I love you. And I'm, and, I, and I'm saying these to you because I love you. I, I would never want to hold back if I think it's going to help you, but this might hurt a little. Here's a warning light. You're more concerned with pleasing people than pleasing Jesus. If that's true for you, if that warning light's going off, that may be an area that you've settled for something less than Jesus' best. I remember hmm, maybe 20 years ago, uh, 20 plus years ago, I, I felt God uh, you know, wanting me to pursue paid full-time ministry. In other words, become a professional Christian. And, uh, and I knew I needed to get trained up. I knew, I knew I needed to actually put myself in the place that I could become, you know, grow and become more effective. And the church I was a part of at the time, Riverview Church in Burswood, had... Friday night youth service and then four other services over the weekend. I would go to all five weekend services. I wasn't paid to be there. I would serve on the Friday night at the youth ministry and I would be at all four services. Now, I didn't feel God telling me that everyone should do that, but I felt God telling me for a season of my life that I should do that, that every time those church doors were open, that I was meant to be sitting in there and, and allowing myself to grow and, and go on this kind of fast track journey and um, n not all of my family and extended family got it and it caused an enormous amount of familial tension for me because people would have uh, get togethers and I'd say either I, I, I won't be coming or I'll be coming late because I'm going to be at my church and they'd look at me like you're not paid to be there you know that you don't have to go there. And I'm saying to them, no, I do have to go there because for this season of my life, that's what I feel God is calling me to do. And uh, 
doesn't make me a hero, but there could be something in your life that some of your family and friends don't understand. But God's calling you to do it. And you need to actually level up from being more concerned about pleasing people than pleasing Jesus. Here's another warning light. Your thinking is limited to your time on earth. When you think about your managing your finances, when you think about how to allocate your time, you're not thinking about eternal stuff. You're not firstly thinking about kingdom stuff. Here's one. This is a doozy. You rationalize sin. Now that word sin, it's not very PC. Good thing is, nor am I. So we use it, but let me clarify what it means because the word sin itself has kind of got a bit janky in people's understanding. The way I like to define it is things that we're doing in our life that are less than God's best. That, that, that sin's not defined by God, you know, got the big ruler out and when it was legal to do, bring you into the headmaster's office and crack you, stop sinning. It's like, no, God points us to a standard that's his best in an, in an area of our life and says, go for that. That's where freedom is. That's where liberty is. That's where blessing is. That's where favour is. That's, that's the sweet spot. You, why would you want to live anywhere else? Why would you want to settle for anything less? But sin is settling for something less. And, and, and by the way, some sin is a whole lot of fun for a time. And I, and I tell people regularly, some sins, if you're not enjoying them, you're doing them wrong. Because some sins, for a time, are a lot of fun. And while we're having that fun, and while we're kind of, you know, settling into that space, we can rationalise it. It's not porn. It's adult entertainment. Oh, come on. Stop being so judgy. I'm not hurting anybody. Oh, it's not that big of a sin. Could be worse. Well, it's not illegal. <laughs> That's a doozy right there because some things that the government might green light, God still red lights. That statement always vacuums the air out of the room. Another warning light, you believe in Jesus, but you rarely talk about him. When's the last time you've shared about your relationship with Jesus with a, with a friend? I'm not, I'm not talking about being that guy at work. Oh, good. Here he comes. I'm not talking about being that guy, I'm, but I'm talking about are you praying for opportunities to say this family member, this friend, this neighbor, this colleague, God, give me opportunities that, that, that in, a, in, a, in an appropriate moment, in a, in a sensitive way, guide, guide this relationship that I can share. My, or, not, or not. And if not, maybe that's a sign for you, a warning light of indifference. Here's one. You only turn to God when you need him. That God for you isn't God. He's more like a genie in the bottle when you want some money or an emergency room doctor when something's gone wrong. And, and yet God says, boy, so much more I've got for our relationship than just turning to me when you need me. And then this one, you're not very different. 
and I've alluded to this, you're, you're not very different from the people around you who aren't yet following Jesus. You raise your kids exactly the same way as they raise their kids. The things you give your time to is pretty much looks like the things they give their time to. The way you manage your finances, just it looks pretty similar to the way they manage their finances. The words you use and how you conduct yourself and how you invest in your marriage looks kind of the same as them. And it doesn't make you better than them, but I'm saying that God actually gives us and calls us to something more, something better, something higher. You're not very different. Or there's this one. You're not very different from this time last year. You've settled with just enough Jesus to save you, but not enough Jesus to change you. Now, this list hopefully is evocative for some of you. And... And I just want to help you process it. If you're sitting here thinking, I could tick one or more of those on that list. I just want to help you process this just, just with this really important thought. Guilt and conviction initially feel very similar. Like the actual emotional response. What they evoke in you, guilt and conviction feel very similar. I didn't put this up for any one of you to feel guilt. Guilt isn't from God. Guilt is not actually a very healthy fuel for change. And guilt doesn't actually produce lasting change. Guilt says to you, fix yourself up. Keep it together as long as you can. Conviction initially feels very similar, but the fuel is completely different. The fuel is God's Holy Spirit. The fuel is God's Holy Spirit calling you up to something better. The the fuel is God's Holy Spirit saying, I want more for you. I want to do more in you. I want to do more through you. And And get this, conviction coming from God's Holy Spirit actually comes with the batteries included. Conviction actually comes when, when God's Holy Spirit leans on you and nudges you and me towards something better. He also says, and I will work in you and through you. I will empower you. You aren't expected to level up on any of these areas in your own strength. Guilt and conviction initially feel very similar, but actually they're very different. And so here's an antidote to these areas. Consistently do something that requires faith. When I was going through that list, if some of those warning lights went off for you, what's something that's gonna take you some faith to actually level up, to actually move up from indifference? And I'm using the word consistently very uh, intentionally there. I could have said daily do something that requires faith, but for some of you, that's, Too big of a leap. Fine, that's fine. Consistently could be at the moment where you're at on your journey. It could be like once a fortnight, I'm going to do something that requires faith. Hey, if that's more than what you've currently been doing, then that's progress. That's the next step. It could be the obvious things. I'm going to read my Bible more often. Okay, cool. 
I get it. Pray more often. That's fine. That's great. I'm going to step up my giving. That's good. I'm going, to, I, I'm going to confront that sin that I've been just rationalizing. Fantastic. And that's going to require some faith because often sins become habits and habits become comfortable and we have to take them off and uh, become someone different. It requires some faith. Maybe it's apply for a job. Maybe you've settled for something less than what God's actually put you on this earth to do in the marketplace. Launch a business, start a course. Maybe the thing that's going to require some faith for you is to forgive that person that doesn't deserve your forgiveness. That you've settled for allowing their behavior to become toxic in your heart and the only way to get that out is to actually release them through forgiveness and that's gonna take some faith because forgiveness is giving the other person what they don't deserve. Maybe it's to have that difficult conversation. That person that's been consistently overstepping those boundaries and you've just settled, you've just allowed them and it's to have that difficult conversation. Maybe it's to pray for someone. Maybe it's to, to actually put someone on your list and to start saying with that person's name in mind, God, use me to help them journey to meet you, Jesus. You haven't done that yet or recently. And actually, it's, it could be a spouse. It could be a family member, a neighbor, a colleague. Maybe that's the thing that requires faith. God, use me. I didn't even, I've never done it before. I've never led anyone to Jesus before. I, I feel very uncomfortable. Yep. Maybe that's the thing. I'm going to consistently pray for this person and see what God does, see what, how God empowers that. So we want to do something that just, for some of you, is not necessarily going to be for everyone, but we, some messages that we preach, it's, it's, like a, it's like an out there, like now that you've learned this, go out there and do it. Some messages that we preach, there's actually a moment in here where we can actually consecrate this. It's a churchy word for just saying like, give it to Jesus in that moment, set it apart for him. So we just want to do this. This isn't going to be for everyone. But our team's just put a very simple uh, feature over here with some knots. And uh, we've got some Sharpie pens. And um, there may be something in that list that you've actually identified or God shone a light on for you that you need to actually undo. That Jesus would say, I got something better. Let's undo that and let's, let's level up. And if that's you, if you think, yeah. I get it. Then the first 20 people, <laughs> there's 20 knots. Uh, grab a pen, just write on one of the, on one of the knots. And we're just going to take a few moments. We're going to worship. And, and I really believe that in this moment that God will actually shift some stuff in your heart. And once you've written whatever it is on there, just take a moment and... Uh, using my best Boy Scout training, just, just, just undo that. And trust that that actual physical response is actually symbolic and demonstrative of something happening in the supernatural realm. So just stay seated. We're just going to worship. And in your own time, three, two, three minutes, just uh, waddle over there. 
grab a pen that steps around the, the back, so be careful, but that's the way up there. And just write something. Say, God, I'm going to, let's undo this and see what happens.